Are you still looking for that one iodine that you can really trust? A medical doctor-endorsed product that is backed by honest research and true integrative science. Then search no further. Go to Nutramedical.com for Dr. Bill Deagle's Nutriodine, proven time and time again to be the very best iodine available for you. Nutriodine is the only Tesla-activated monatomic plasma iodine in the world. It optimizes mitochondrial function and generation of new mitochondria from totally neutralizing the venom from a desert recluse spider bite in Southern California to eliminating malaria parasites reported by medical missionaries in Central India. Dr. Bill's Nutriodine is simply the most powerful healing formula there is. Nutriodine clears the body of all known pathogens, restores it to an alkaline state, and even promotes stem cell regeneration. Order Dr. Bill's Nutriodine today at 888-212-8871 or visit us online at Nutramedical.com. This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. Nutramedical Report. We have Harley Schlanger here, and of course, Harley's going to talk about uh, Russia Gate and how it's turned around to bite the Democrats in the deep state. Give us some details, Harley. Well, I think the the uh, story is not really a surprise that it was the Democratic National Committee and Clinton's campaign that paid for the Christopher Steele dossier. Uh, the, the important question here is that the whole operation has been allowed to continue even though everyone knew that, number one, the real issue was the Clinton emails, the Clinton corruption, uh, and then the fact that the Clinton campaign co- uh, coordinated completely with the FBI. And the FBI was coordinating everything with British intelligence. So you have a perfect example of everything that's wrong with the United States. And you can add to that that the original attempt to do research against Trump by Fusion GPS, the the so-called consulting firm, was paid for by a Republican opponent of Trump. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I know who it is. And and I'm sure my guess will be proven correct. I thought it was Jeb Bush. Well, I wouldn't be shocked at that, especially when George Bush came out the other day to attack Trump. Um, But what you have now is something that's very clear. You have a dysfunctional political system, which is proven by what everything Trump has done. He defeated the Republican Bush crowd. He defeated the Clinton crowd and the Democratic Party. And now we see a coalescing of Republicans and Democrats trying to get rid of him. And what's the issue that they are most upset about with Trump, it's that he wants to talk to the Russians and the Chinese, that he doesn't trust Wall Street, that he doesn't like the media. Well, most Americans would tend to agree with him on those positions. Well, here's the situation, and I, I get both sides of this. For example, President Xi of China just got incorporated into the new Chinese constitution being taught from China. She actually went to the University of South Carolina 
And in other words, he's like a proxy American. He has a relationship with Donald Trump, and he knows that we're kind of umbilically tied, our economies are tied together. So we either have a conjoint bilateral, trilateral world with Russia, China, and America, and then the other nations profiting from the Belt and Road, or we eventually go to World War III and destroy most of humanity and turn the planet into a dead cinder around the Yellow Dwarf Star. We have that uh, basically that thing. We can increase the energy flux density, as Lyndon talks about, and we can have trade where we get proper copyright and, and production, but then we could bring hundreds or thousands of Chinese engineers to get our factories up to speed and to improve our training, our tech training, because, for example, Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs has said we have six million jobs that could be filled tomorrow, but we don't have the tech trained people. I mean, this is, we talk about complaining that it takes so long to get a factory set up in China or Malaysia. The reason is the Chinese saw decades ago that they better train their people up to have the tech skills. So if you want to have 5,000 technicians building something in China, you can do it in 90 days. Uh, you wouldn't even have the staff to actually staff a place to do that here in America. So people don't get it that if we don't collaborate and work out something that not only protects our copyright and our patents, we don't have industrial espionage and, don't, and prevent war and defang all of Korea for nuclear weapons, uh, we're eventually going to have a nuclear war where most of us are going to die. I mean, that's the choice. Either collaborate well, and have and, a, and build, a world economy uh, or die in a thermonuclear, biological, chemical conflagration. That's the choice, isn't it? Well, uh, let me say a couple of <clears throat> things to, to go back to what you started with. The importance of this uh, Communist Party Congress that just took place. Right. No one should be freaked out about the fact that they call themselves the Communist Party. Uh, you know, when did communism, communism produce billionaires? Uh, they, they have a mixed system, which they yeah, call it, socialism. It, well, they call it socialism with Chinese characteristics. Well, it's certainly not. Now, uh, it's not Confucius, and certainly not Marxist uh, communism, is it? Well, it's more Confucian about, by a long shot than Marxist. Exactly. But here's That's the point. The point. That's the point. Yeah, and here's, here's, here's what I wanted to get to. Xi Jinping laid out something that, that people should find interesting, but the U.S. media won't cover it. Because what they're saying is China is, has a big credit bubble. China is a dictatorship. China's a human rights violator. Xi is a new Stalin. They, no one reported what he said in his speech. He said something interesting. He said the purpose of government is to make its people happy, to do things that are good for the population and make them want to achieve improvements uh, during their lifetimes for the, their children and grandchildren. Right. Now, after his uh, election, and it was a foregone conclusion that he would win, uh, Trump called him and congratulated him. And they had a talk, and Trump said... Uh, he really is looking forward to seeing Xi on November 8th. Now, we've had a nonstop barrage for uh, nearly a year now of attacks on Donald Trump uh, coming from the intelligence community, the Clintons, uh, dirty networks in the Republican Party, and the media. Right. And I think now what's happened is that the, the reason for that is becoming more clear. And if you look at the chronology of what happened with this Fusion GPS report, the dirty dossier about Trump, when the FBI took it to go to the FISA court to start getting warrants to surveil Trump and Manafort and others, it all becomes very clear now that at the point at which there would be an expose of Hillary Clinton coming out through WikiLeaks, 
they concocted the story of Russian hacking. And in the meantime, the British had already told the CIA and the FBI they should be looking for Trump connections to Putin. And then they put this dossier together, which is a complete fraud, claiming that Trump was cavorting with Russian prostitutes in a Moscow hotel and, and, and so on. Now, all of this was done with the idea that Trump wouldn't be in the White House anymore by now, that he would have been either removed by impeachment or would have just had a breakdown and, and run off and left. Right. Now, why do they want that? Because they don't want what Trump said he was going to do, which is to break away from the old paradigm, the Bush, Obama, Clinton paradigm, of east-west confrontation, north-south confrontation, and bailouts, bail-ins, uh, funny money, central banks giving huge amounts of liquidity to the to worthless speculators who are, are stealing us blind. Trump said he's going to put an end to that. Now, whether he can or not is still an open question. Whether he knows enough and, and is going to do it is an open question. But what he did when he said he's going to meet with Putin, he's going to talk with the Chinese, uh, he's going to work to defeat the terrorists in Syria, that created a change. And it was a change that the Bush crowd doesn't like, the Obama crowd doesn't like, the Hillary crowd doesn't like. But most Americans, as Trump said, would be happy to have friendly relations with Russia and China rather than another possible war, another Cold War. But part of the problem, though, is that uh, the media now is extremely leaky because we have other people taking videos and materials, say, around the Mandalay Bay Massacre. We have the Russians showing video evidence that we're actually taking ISIS fighters and commanders out of Iraq and, uh, and these other towns in, in, yeah. in Iraq. Well, what's going on right now, <clears throat> the media war is being won to the people, that the Russia is not the bad guy they point out to, and the reason why they did a simulation last October 2016 <clears throat> for a nuclear war with the West is because the West is planning it. A unipolar world run by America and the Federal Reserve bankers is a guarantee of World War III. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. And no, I try, yeah, and so the, if we, we can modernize the economy in Russia, if we can bring to heal the industrial espionage and the military expansiveness of some aspects in China by collaborating on business sides, if we can actually bring some of their engineers here to help us build high-speed rail, then maybe things will work out. But the idea that we're going to somehow be in this dialogue of conflict that we actually foster, for example, like I said, the Toy Story, Toys are Us, how about terrorists are us? We are the terrorizer of nations. That's why we collaborate with uh, George Soros to do orange revolutions. And the Russians are fully aware that's why George is persona non grata in Russia. No wonder, hey? Yeah. Back in a moment with Harley. Frustrated? Welcome back. Um, give you an example. Uh, we're, talk, we're talking on the break about new economies. Uh, I'm just going to give you a projection. Let's say this is now uh, 2047. It's uh, 30 years from now. And it's my prediction in 2047, and we're not talking about the, you know, like the Blade Runner type of stuff, that in 2047 this is what the new economy will be. The largest expense of a person will be life insurance. It won't be to pay you when you're dead, your relatives. It'll be to extend your life. Your 
cost of your mortgage will be down third or fourth in your list of things to do. A lot of people won't, quote, own things. They'll rent or lease things. Uh, you'll see an economy where the big uh, box store like Amazon will be broken up, in a sense, by new databases that allow mom-and-pop stores to build and create things locally. You'll see a lot of what we call micro-factories where someone will put out a contract to build parts and people will put in bids and they can actually have a three-dimensional uh, factory to build them in a garage, a three-car garage, and send a part in with high levels of accuracy of production. This is already happening in Japan. The whole future of education will go online. You'll see everybody from medical school to whatever, and there'll be centers of excellence for engineering and whatever, and lateral ways so people, if they master the database of information, they can uh, then go to centers of excellence to actually validate they have it. By 2037, 47, 30 years from now, people will be able to download language and other skills into their brain uh, directly. So you're going to start seeing education completely change. You'll see a population of elderly people. You'll see the first group of people that are born in the next 5 to 10 years that are going to live at least 200 years. And there won't be 200 years where they're going to be the last part of their life laying in a bed with tubes in every orifice. It's going to be a different world where people who have paid off their home will then do a lot of service for the community and the population, and the, I call the wisdom ratio in society will increase dramatically. Like in places like Georgia, there's two seats where there's 50, 100 times more centenarians. It'll be a completely different culture where the environment and the economy and, and production of things decentralizes where uh, big government is going to have direct uh, democracy where people will have to have what I call small bills and that every citizen in every specific country will be able to kind of vote on what laws they want in their country not just a legislative agenda but one where the, there's direct in, interaction with the population so I see a completely different world I see a completely different economy I see education transformed when if you can download German and validate that you have the German skills in a matter of a couple of weeks if you, can download, if you can learn skills in a specific area, if you're a medic and then be qualified as a surgeon within months, I see a completely different world. I don't think uh, that we are properly anticipating the economy of the future, but Lyndon has in the Rouge Foundation, and it's built on things like a trilateral world where Russia, China, and America, and other rising nations like India uh, will become a major power where we'll have a post, what I call, violent, jihadist kind of Islam that may be tempered to become a, a peacemaker in the world rather than, a, than try to, to take over the world and make it a, a caliphate running the planet. Um, this is a bright future that can happen if we plan properly, but it's not going to happen if you have a unipolar world with George Bush Sr. and other morons who want to have a control by a bunch of British intel, USA, Five eye freaks that think that they're going to run the planet for China and Russia and everybody else. And I, these other countries are saying, hell no, aren't they? Well, um, I, I, I think China, I think China is, is making a move. I mean, they're saying China 2025, but I really think that they're not trying to take over the world. They're trying to get their piece of the action in a balanced world. What do you think? Well, let, let, let me say a couple of things, Bill, because the, the first thing is that the, the Chinese have a plan which is to eliminate poverty within three years. Now, they, have, they say they have 43 million people still living under the poverty level. That's about the same number of people we have in the United States living under the poverty level. And their population is four times larger than ours. 
But we have no plan to get the, the remaining 43 million people out from under poverty. In fact, we're putting more people into poverty. Uh, no, what so the first thing that's... What, what's the solution that Chinese are going to implement? Because the roots of poverty, what, what are they going to do? Well, they're, they're going with the Belt and Road, and they're bringing more and more young people into mm-hmm. uh, educational programs to... Uh, become engineers, to become scientists, to, as you were talking about, to to work in the uh, factories of the future, which are not even imagined yet, which means you have to have a certain kind of educational process. They're upgrading agriculture. They're upgrading virtually every aspect of their physical production. Now, what what we're doing, what are we doing? We're, we're doing nothing. We're, we're trapped in this world of debt, where everyone says we've got to do something about debt, and then the only thing that comes up is you've got to keep these zombie companies and zombie banks in business, which means creating more debt to cover existing bad debt. So you've got, when you talk about what kind of economics do you need, LaRouche was clear on this. You need an economics which allows for the increase in the productivity of the individual laborer, whether they're a plumber or whether they're working in a factory or whether they're a scientist. You have to have an economy which facilitates for the whole population an improvement in what they can physically do to change nature. And that's not an abstraction. As you and I often talk about, we've got to deal with things like the rim of fire, the uh, volcanic eruptions, the comets and asteroids. There are a number of things that require more people in areas of, of scientific research. Now, to get to the hard core of this, though, what the Chinese are doing is they're saying that their population, improving their population is what matters for the government. And Americans are cynical that that can happen here, but they also don't believe that the Chinese can do that, despite the evidence. The Chinese have lifted 700 million people out of poverty. A U.S. polling firm went through China last month before the party congress and interviewed something like 8,000 people and from rural areas, from urban areas, and asked them if they're happy. And 87% said they're, they're happy with the situation in China and hopeful for the future. What is it in the United States, about 20% that think we're in the right direction? Well, I so, think that part of that I would say would be a fractured media conscience of the population. For example, if you talk to people that are listening in South Carolina to Maxine Waters, she whipped them up into a frenzy over trying to get rid of Bush. In fact, of Trump, I mean, the other day, she actually made a statement that on the face of it, sounds like she's calling for the assassination of President Trump. So we have this polarization of the deep state and the media that are completely insane. In fact, if they were an individual, you'd have to certify them, put them in a posy jacket, and shove an antipsychotic into their butt cheek. This is not normal. And so what we have, we don't see that polarization even in these so-called communist countries where there is a kind of a culling and a prevention of, of open access to information on the Internet, which, we, by the way, we need to make sure our intel agencies are doing this for China because we don't want it to kind of swing from Xi, which might be much more Western-oriented, to swinging back towards something very, very totalitarian because that could happen, just like anything in any country. Uh, there's a well, pressure, for example, if they get rid of Trump, if they get rid of Trump, they could do the same thing in America because, remember, both the Republicans and the Democrats want a form of American totalitarianism to rule the world. It's not good. Well, but the point is that, that you have a reason why people are optimistic in China because they're seeing improvements in their day-to-day life. Well, of course they are, yeah. They're, 
The rice the bowl States, is full. We're not seeing that. Yeah, the rice bowl is full. They can get a vehicle. They can watch movies, including made for Chinese population movies. They can uh, get some meat now, some protein in their diet. It's a whole different world, isn't it? Attention. T- pontification uh, challenge there, but I really want people to see a lot of the principles Linda's been preaching for many decades now. If the world doesn't get that wisdom, uh, it's going to be a very dark future indeed. In fact, it's either collaboration or planning war is really what we were saying. So please fill in the details. Where, where do you see this going? Because there's this big meeting in China recently. Uh, there's big meetings in Europe. Are, are they going to take the sanctions off Russia and start working towards some kind of peace arrangement rather than further warmongering up toward Russia and China? What's going to happen? Well, Europe is a mess. Now, the the German president, who's mostly a figurehead, Steinmeier, just had a fairly lengthy meeting with Putin. And he came back saying, look, we should be working with the Russians. And he said, we can work out an agreement on Ukraine. We can work out an agreement on the Middle East. Uh, And we have to... uh, recognize that the Russians are sticking to the agreement that they made at the Minsk talks on Ukraine, but the Ukrainian government is not. Right. Now, the German German president said that. You know the reason why they're not, though, is because of people like our State Department, people under Obama, made a public statement we've spent since the 1980s, something like $5 billion, to do an orange revolution and change there. For our good, not for the sake of the Eastern Europeans or the Russians or well, it wasn't even for our good. It was for the the good of the neocons, and exactly the globalists. But the right. point is that the Ukraine operation, which by the way also is funded by Soros, uh, the Ukraine operation is something that did cause the Russians to be quite concerned because now you have an anti-Russian uh, government when you have several million ethnic Russians living in eastern Ukraine who were immediately targeted by the neo-Nazis and the security forces of the, the new Ukrainian government. They were even shelling now, them, weren't they? Like, that's what the Donbass kids remember. Of course they shelled them, yeah. yeah. And you know, the, you know, the, when the, the Malaysian jet was shot down, Without a, a shred of evidence, they immediately said the Russian forces did it. So that was done to get the Europeans to support the sanctions bill. I just just recently attended a lecture where someone went through how the, what the chronology was, and the Europeans were balking on giving new sanctions against Russia in, in 2015. Right. And then after the Malaysian jetliner went down, John Kerry came out and said, we know Russia did it. All of Europe jumped to attention and then voted for the sanctions. So anyway, Steinmeier went to, to uh, Moscow. The uh, Free Democrats, who are going to be in the next government in Germany, are saying we should end the sanctions. Uh, the business community in Germany wants to end the sanctions. The industrial community wants to end the sanctions. <laughs> Germany has been hurt badly by the sanctions, whereas right. it hasn't hurt the United States much at all. So you ask about Europe. The, the largest economy in Europe, Germany, they're bursting for change. And un, uh, unfortunately, they're going to end up with Merkel as the chancellor again. Oh you have this, you have this uh, 
uh, Maidan-style operation in Barcelona now. And, you know, people are saying, well, shouldn't they have a right to be independent and free? The people who are running this thing are the same people who ran the Ukraine operation, Soros. Uh, There's a a group of people who are saying we should break up the nation-states in Europe. Now, the nation-states are giving away a lot of their sovereignty to the European Union, but the population still identifies with nation-states. So what's the solution? If you're the globalist, what you do is you destroy the nation-states. You have all the regions... That's why Europe exists. What they need to have is some kind of cultural autonomy at the same time have collaborative business, which is why there's such a big fight over Brexit. So you're absolutely correct. This is a problem that the globalists are creating balkanization, but also the destruction of national borders. Well, what happened in Spain is that the Spanish economy got lured into the mortgage-backed security racket. And when it went bust, the EU came in and said, well, you can't spend any money to help your people. You've got to spend money to bail out the banks. And Santander Bank, the largest bank in Spain, uh, is really a London bank, the alpha group of banks. So as a result, the area, uh, which is Catalan, Barcelona, which is about 26 to 28% of the, the Spanish economy, maybe even 30%. They're arguing that they don't get money back from the Spanish government that they send in in taxes. Well, no part of the Spanish population is getting money back because it's going into bailouts. So one wow. of the, the LaRouche organization in Spain is saying, we shouldn't break Spain out. We, what we should do is Spain should leave the euro and join the Silk Road. That would be the solution. So what you have is an operation from the top being run out of London to destroy nation states. Now, look, I work with people from the Northern League of Italy, and previously they wanted to separate from the rest of Italy. We kept telling them that's not the solution. The solution is for Italy to actually assert its sovereign rights and demand the, the investment that's needed to rebuild or to build southern Italy. Do you think Greece might do that with... I think Greece might do it because their economy apparently in Italy has stalled for 10 years, hasn't it? Well, Italy's in terrible shape. Greece is in terrible shape. But Cyprus, the Greek prime minister, was here and met with Trump. And Trump said, we're for reasonable debt relief for you. The EU said to Greece, no debt relief. We already forgave 10% of the debt. Now, they actually forgave about 3%, but they let the banks use it as tax write-offs. So no. there was no real there was no real haircut in Greece, and meanwhile the Greek population is suffering. Unemployment in Spain, Italy, and Greece is still around twenty five percent in each of those countries. Wow. Youth unemployment is thirty to forty percent. So they're being destroyed by the EU. So naturally, there's there's rebellion and, and revolt. So the the on the surface, the vote in Catalonia was similar to Brexit or the the Trump revolution in this country. But the solution is not separation. The solution is to get rid of the European Union. And that's that's so straightforward and logical. In other words, the re-emergence of nation states. And I don't want to believe in what we call collective agreements either. I think that this idea of the, uh, you know, the Trans-Pacific and Trans-Atlantic Partnerships, which, by the way, during the Obama administration, they excluded China. How can you have a Trans-Pacific Partnership without including China in the economic uh, uh, development plans? How crazy! You got, as, as you know, Bill, Obama's policy was to confront Russia and China, and to run those kinds of operations that would destroy those countries and, and force them to abide by a transatlantic dictatorship. And the exactly. Chinese and Russians are not going to do it. 
Yeah, and I can't believe how Obama, he's so incompetent in so many ways. But this is another major blunder that they did. Not only did they not control the expansion of terrorism, but the, I call terroristic economic policies we have against nation states that are trying to emerge. So Europe, you know, the Europeans, for example, uh, our support, luckily, under Trump for, for Britain and Brexit is very good. But they're really trying to entangle Britain, aren't they? They don't want Britain to leave, completely have a, a real clean divorce. Uh, well, they still can collaborate on business sides, which could easily be done. They could easily make this arrangement so it's, it's painless. They want to control their borders of the populations that come to Britain. They're getting flooded with uh, people that are arriving in their borders that they don't want inside Britain. They do want to collaborate well, on business. And this is something that each nation state, for example, I can guarantee you this new Austrian super genius 32-year-old, he's a nationalist. He doesn't have to be an extremist, but he's not going to let them just flood the country with tons of Hiraj Muslims from all over the place. And the same with Hungary and other countries. They're finally getting fed up. Maybe this is the, you know, the end of the game even for Germany because with your new party there in Germany, uh, I have a feeling that uh, the idea that Angela Merkel has a free hand to let as many people want to come in is over. Well, Merkel, she actually already has changed on that. And, and in fact, the big flow of refugees was 2015 through early 2016. That's That's been stopped. It's not taking place. Uh, but that's really not the, the, the issue is sovereignty. The issue is the right to determine your own policy. Uh, the issue is why does Germany have to be a, a bailout agency for a bankrupt group of banks in London and Paris? Well, I think, and yeah, so, are you saying, because you live in Berlin, Berlin and the Berliners are not really running Germany. It's the Strasbourgians and the, uh, and the people in Brussels. They're running policy yeah. for, for Germany, which is the largest super economy. It's like 116, 120 million people. It's a giant no, it's economy. About, about, about 90 million, and it's, but it's a strong economy, but it's, it's being put through a deindustrialization, and it's going to collapse if this continues. Wow. So, in other words, the Germans aren't running their own economy. It's the European uh, bureaucrats, right? <clears throat> well, they're doing it through German politicians like Merkel and Schäuble. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. And you live right in it, so you know what's going on. And welcome back. So, apparently, you get a lot of wisdom here. We're talking about the reason why some of these nations are shackled by European debt. And you mentioned the history of Germany. I don't want to go back a little bit and ask you. World War I was basically Britain seeing that Germany was rising as industrial power. World War II was caused because we created circumstances and even funded the rise of Adolf Hitler to make certain that we completely crushed Germany. So Adolf Hitler was a symptom of manipulation by the West. And, well, let me, uh, let me, yeah, and I'd like you to continue on that line because we're seeing a similar thing with, with Germany now and even the unification in 1990 where they were forced to use the euro, not the Deutschmark. So what does this all mean? Well, here's the point. From the city of London standpoint, the greatest threat going into the 20th century was that there could be an alliance between the United States, France, Germany, and Russia. And that this would be based on uh, advancing rail, uh, rail connections that would replace the power of the British Sea, going vessels, the British control of ports, and, and so on. And when the Germans and the Russians and the French started to work together, uh, on certain projects like uh, the idea of the Trans-Siberian Railroad or the Berlin to Baghdad Railroad 
the Brits decided they had to break France and Russia from Germany and punish Russia. I'm sorry, punish Germany, but right. also punish Russia. I mean, the Brits were involved in running the Russian Revolution. You know, we're at the 100th anniversary of the Russian Revolution, and there's almost no discussion in the media anywhere of the role the British played in, uh, on the one hand, bringing down the Tsar, and then how the Germans helped finance the communists to bring Lenin in, and then once Lenin got in, the British got involved again through Bukharin and people like that. I mean, that's a longer story, but the, the basic point is World War One and World War Two were British efforts right. to destroy Germany and Russia right. as, as threats to them, and also to keep the United States as a British puppet. Instead of, this was the whole issue at the end of the 19th century was McKinley wanted to end free trade. William McKinley was pushing a tariff. He was pushing an anti-British policy. What did the British do? They created the economics department at the University of Chicago. They came in and said free trade is what America is all about. Globalization. The early phase of globalization was Teddy Roosevelt. So, you, and McKinley, of course, was assassinated so that Teddy Roosevelt could become the president. Right. And he was a total Anglophile. So, if you look at the 20th century, it was a century of the British Empire declining toward the middle of the century in terms of a landed empire, but expanding as a financial empire. And Franklin Roosevelt was fighting that, but when he died, Truman was completely taken in by Churchill and it was the British that, that established the financial system that collapsed in 1971. That is, they, they subverted the Bretton Woods system of Franklin Roosevelt. And since 1971, we've had a financial system controlled by London and Wall Street. Russia and China are breaking with that. The Germans would be smart if they broke with that. And I, I don't think yet we have the potential in Germany to do that because the Germans are still shackled by the EU and by their own sense that if you have nationalism unleashed in Germany you'll have a revival of Nazism and that's just not true I, I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, know if that, I don't know if that guilt is, is kind of, I have friends in Germany so I don't know if that, that psychologically is still things hanging on to the young people nowadays they under 40, 50 years of age I think that's the lie they're still pushing but I don't think it's really I don't think know, it's I'll gravity anymore no, I, you, you don't know young Germans. They're extreme pacifists. They're the worst form of green environmentalists. They think a nuclear power plant is a, is a move toward a fascist dictatorship. I'm not kidding. This is the level of the brainwashing that's been done. The older people in Germany, the, the generation from the post-war period who saw the economic miracle, they're the ones who want to end the sanctions with Russia. They want to rebuild uh, uh -oh. industry so you, in Africa and elsewhere. You're talking about the millennials and the people just before the millennials are actually so brainwashed, they're actually part of the impediment to moving forward is what you're saying. Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of the problem. Wow. And by the way, this is, you know, the Antifa in the United States started in Germany. People oh, who said that, okay. that, that anyone... Antifa is anti-fascist. Anyone who supports the revival of nationalism is a fascist. That was the German side of it. In the U.S. now, we're seeing the same kind of thing with a gang counter-gang 
between, on the one hand, these these phony white nationalists, and on the other hand, the anti-white nationalists. In both cases, they're controlled by the same intelligence operations. So well, this is how you destroy of, nations. Dialect of chaos, maintaining a dialectic of balkanization of ideas and identity politics and, re- and what we call tribalism, all run by the globalists, isn't it? Yeah, and that's how you destroy a nation. And what we've got to fight for, and this is why the Chinese model is so interesting, the Chinese are very nationalistic, but they also recognize this idea of the what took over in Europe in the, the middle of the 17th century to end the wars of religion, the principle of Westphalia, that your neighbor's improvement is in your own benefit, that improving the conditions of your neighbor helps you. The, the good of all. And the Chinese talk about a win-win relationship. And this is... Yeah. But this goes yeah. against the, the so-called Darwinian competition of the free traders. Well, there's those three events that are going to happen in the next, say, 20 years that are going to force us to start unifying in terms of collective nations moving toward goals. Number one, with the approaching dwarf star in 12 years. And it's the refill. And we have some large ones that are passing us already, so there's a much more objects in the near space. Number two, we're heading into a modern type cooling period or ice age. Now, people want to say this isn't happening. The genesis of superstorms, we talked about this before, is northern latitudes are pushing cold down, so they're getting new extreme cold weather in the north uh, parts of U.S. and Canada. And it's pushing these storms, creating the genesis of superstorms like these hurricanes. And the third thing that has happened is technology. Technology is going to force us, whether we like it or not, to disperse the so-called Silicon Valleys all over the world, India and elsewhere, Russia. And the Silicon Valleys are going to make breakthroughs in terms of life extension, robotics, artificial intelligence. It's going to change culture whether people like it or not. And we're not, we're not, re, we're not reunifying to protect our planet from near space objects or extreme weather or an ice age, which is going to last 70 to 90 years, a cooling period called a moderate cooling period. We're not prepared for... Uh, stopping the pollution of the oceans, which is destroying the benthic layer. This is the real reason why there's carbon dioxide going up and the oxygen's dropping. And this model means collaboration at a transnational level of strong nations that have a collective goal to survive and thrive through the climatic, geopolitical, and the scientific and technical changes. We're not. I think Trump is looking at it, and so is Xi. That's why they can get along in Florida. But I don't think a lot of nations are looking at it that our very survival as a human race... Well, actually, actually, a lot yeah. of nations are. It's just that in the West, we're not. Right. The, the, the idea that being an, a, a patriot of your nation turns you against others is wrong. Exactly. Uh, Friedrich Schiller had this concept that the, the best patriot is one who also seeks good relations with the, the rest of the world. He said, you, it's not contradictory to be a patriot of your country and a world citizen. And I think this is what G is talking about with globalization. Not a dictatorship of bankers, but an era of reason, a new paradigm in which people work together for the common good. And this is how we get from... I mean, Mrs. LaRouche often talks about this. She says, we're, we're really in a still prepubescent age in terms of nations and people right. and we need to get to adulthood and you know adults have very different perspectives uh, once they get into the real world than they do with their children and unfortunately we're infantilized by the media by the social networking by you know sex rock drug counterculture that took this country over in the 60s and 70s 
and we haven't been able to emerge above that. Well, well no, Bush had this important point when we talked about space shield. He said if we develop it, we should share it with Russia and China, which is logical because it means the greatest danger now in the public mind, and I saw a poll this morning on Fox, people are worried about rogue nations like North Korea and Iran. The reason why they should worry is because the proliferation of chemical, biological, nuclear weapons is the real risk, not large nations like Russia and China. And very quickly, Ronald Reagan agreed with LaRouche on the idea of sharing it with Russia. Yeah, and I did too. I, I think it's, if you make a system that makes nuclear wars and missile wars obsolete, everybody's happier, everybody's safer, nobody's going to fire because they're not going to do any damage. Yeah. Right? Yep. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, what LaRouche is standing for is a pathway toward a, a bright future, not a dark future based on balkanization, dialogues of terrorism, conflict and uh, territorial fighting. Amazing. Thank you, Herman. Absolutely. Always amazing stuff. And also EIR, the Executive Intelligence Review, LaRouchePAC.com, and LaRouchePUB.com. Is that on LaRouchePUB.com? Thank you, Harley. We'll see you next Friday. We should do some videos sometime. Give me a show. We'll do that. Do you have difficulty taking supplements? Are you searching for a high-quality, complete nutritional drink that your whole family will love? Nutramedical's Life Support has arrived. All of your daily nutritional requirements in one quick, delicious drink. Dr. Bill Deagle's Life Support is a proprietary blend of vegan protein, activated vitamins, essential minerals, amino acids, probiotics, green tea, digestive enzymes, anti-inflammatories, cancer prevention, detoxification, and much more. Your body will high-five you for this one. Life Support is the best complete nutritious meal replacement on the market. Whether you are an elite athlete, have post-operative challenges, chronic illness, elderly, or a family that just wants a quick, delicious drink, try Dr. Bill Deagle's Life Support for optimized nutrition in one great-tasting smoothie. Just add cold water, almond milk, fruit, or anything else you like. Nutramedical's Life Support. Try our great-tasting chocolate or vanilla today. Call 888-212-8871 or visit us online at Nutramedical.com. Nutramedical.com for the whole family.